For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome everyone to another episode of our European Hoops podcast and guys get ready because today we have a very special episode. We are joined by the maestro of basketball banter, the former co-host of wildly popular shows as the Starters and No Dunks podcast. He's here to bring his encyclopedic knowledge of basketball. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by the one and only Lee Ellis. Thank you so much for joining our European Hoops podcast. How are you doing, man? Very well. Thank you very much for having me. It's truly a pleasure to have you here at the European Hoops podcast. I want to start this conversation by going way back and by letting our listeners know more about you. And to do that, let's start by asking you, when did basketball become an important part of your life? Well, basketball was a pretty important part of my life, really, ever since I was a kid, because I'm the third of three boys and my dad played basketball. My two older brothers played basketball. And so we were only, we grew up in a small town, only about 30,000 people, but basketball was a big event socially and physically because so many people from the town either played basketball or knew someone who played basketball. So it was, it was kind of always in our family and in our, um, you know, in my youth growing up. And because it's an, a, an indoor sport, it's a year around event event. So, you know, most countries have sort of a summer sport and a winter sport, but for us, basketball was the one that was like constant all year round. So, you know, I, I uh, my, some of my earliest memories of just, you know, meeting people and playing around and, and, and things like that was going to the basketball stadium to play. Um, and then I started playing myself and I really enjoyed it. And then of course, this was in the mid, mid to late eighties. And so, People knew about the NBA. We knew about Larry Bird and Dr. J and Magic Johnson, but we couldn't really access it. Um, there was certainly no cable TV or internet back then. But uh, my oldest brother in 1987 came home with a copy of the 1987 All-Star Game. Hmm. And that was the first game I ever saw, uh, you know, in, in, in its entirety. I'd seen highlights again of, of Larry Bird and Dr. J and things like that and Spud Webb winning the dunk contest, but I'd never <laughs> seen a game before. And once I saw this game, and this was when the All-Star game was a really like, it was like almost, you know, second to winning the NBA championship was how the, uh, you know, being picked for the All-Star team meant um, and, and just what it, what it represented at the time. And this was the most amazing game. Zero time on the clock. Rolando Blackman at the free throw line hits two free throws. <laughs> the West go on to win it. And so... You know, at that moment in your life, you, you think about it sometimes like if you fall in love with like a musician uh, or a band, they have a song that just all of a sudden captures you and you become yeah. a fan for life. Uh, you know, that's kind of what happened with me. when Once I saw this 87 All-Star game, I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest sport ever invented. You know, <laughs> like this is – look at this, like – you know, in the All-Star game, it's like a movie-like ending, you know, with two free throws, uh, people trying to put him off. You got that, That's the most pressure you can possibly be under where, you know, I talk about free throws being the easiest shot physically to make but the toughest mentally because you shouldn't oh, yeah. miss them. You should make them. But with all that pressure, and, and I actually interviewed Rolando Blackman a few years ago, and he talked about, he said, like, you know, you're on the line 
with the biggest names in the game at the time all playing together. You know, Moses Malone, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. Everyone's waiting to see what's going to happen. Isaiah Thomas is trying to put him off in the background. <laughs> Isaiah was, of course, on the East at the time, and he and Rolanda had a history together. So, you know, for me, that moment was my uh, flux capacitor moment that I talk about, um, <laughs> you know, that it just, it just, it went from my enjoying playing basketball, seeing my friends, being fascinated by the NBA to all of a sudden it's like, I, I got to, you know, I got to get more of this drug. And, uh, <laughs> and that sort of set me on a path of, of you know, I, I didn't realize it fully at the time, uh, but set me on a path of, of being connected to the NBA, you know, at some point um, for my the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. And those small moments that make it click for us and just get so attached to this game from an emotional standpoint. And uh, for you later to, to get to cover it at the level that you did. When did you start the, the coverage of the NBA? Well, I started professionally uh, in 2011 uh, when I joined the Basketball Jones, who turned into the starters and are currently no dunks. Yeah. Um, I had been sort of covering it unofficially, you know, for probably four or five years before that when I started blogging and, and writing about it and trying to, you know, try to start my own career that way, you know, not dissimilar to sort of what I'm doing now. I just sort of decided to try to do it my own way. And again, blogging in 2007, 2008, that's when everyone started blogging. And yeah, <laughs> we didn't really know about Twitter then. I think it, I think Twitter had you know, had started, but it certainly wasn't what it became. Uh, and certainly Instagram and those other platforms certainly hadn't taken off yet. So I was at uh, Blogspot just just hacking away, writing down my thoughts, trying to get any sort of attention and, and engagement. And uh, I, uh, it was funny because, I, you know, I used to post and we didn't even know much about analytics at that <laughs> point. But I, I, I was searching and I, I did, wasn't getting much traction. And then I, I wrote an article on Kobe Bryant Uh, when he was in Toronto and all of a sudden I saw my traffic just spike and I was like, whoa, you know, uh, so that was a sort of another, not quite the same as uh, the 87 All-Star game as far as a turning point. But I realized at that moment, it's like, oh, people, you know, want to read and hear and, and, and see what you've got to say about things. They don't know about you, the writer yet. But if you're going to be talking about one of the most captivating people, people are going to start reading it. And so, um, you know, again, that was where I sort of thought, oh, okay, maybe, maybe there is something I can do here when you realize like some of the great writers uh, that I used to read, you know, you thought these guys are just like on a completely different level. But then you realize like all it is is writing. You know, they're, they're, they, were, they were where I was at the time at some point in their life. And so I just started writing and, 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 and again, trying more things and some things got traction. And then I got the internship at the score, which was the all sports TV network in Toronto. And that's where I met the basketball Jones. So, you know, uh, Steve Jobs is a famous Harvard speech. He says, and he, he, you know, he says, you can't, you can't put the pieces together in advance or going forward. You can only look back and see how, One thing led to another, to another, to another. Um, and, and that's one of those things. Like at the time in 2008, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I didn't know how I was going to get anywhere. But eventually, little bit at a time, you know, one thing opens another door, opens another door, and eventually uh, takes you down a path. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been an incredible journey so far. I had to go look it up and Twitter was launched in 2006. So it was oh, okay. starting at the time. Right. But, yeah. uh, that's pretty incredible because uh, at the time it was about the quality of the writer and the passion of the writer and people just identifying with you. And now you need to play around with the algos and uh, captivate people and the clickbait and it's a whole thing. 
and uh, it's way more interesting like that because it's way more pure and way more captivating but continuing on this line of uh, your story from all your time covering the NBA, do you have a highlight, a story that really marked you? Because we have heard many of them in your shows. Do yeah. you have some highlights? Well, I mean, to be perfectly honest, and not, not to sort of, you know, be vague about the answer, but the, the entire six-year run we had was incredible at NBA TV. To be walking around those studios, <laughs> you know, and, and every day you're on TV talking about the NBA with your friends, you know, for, for a show that was broadcast you know, I mean, on NBA TV across the country and then put on YouTube so the whole world could see it. I mean, that was an amazing uh, experience. And then within that, um, I think the, the the story I talk about the most is, of course, with Steph Curry. I mean, I uh, I, I said a lot of dumb things on the show, but there was one thing I said <laughs> uh, that Steph Curry heard and, and implemented, and, and that was that led to him winning his first ever three-point contest in New York City in, in 2015. Um, and then later on, a few years later, I got to shoot around with Steph, which was just an, an incredible, um, you know, thing to think that like you could say something that somebody as as influential as Steph would actually hear and then go out and implement. Um, and then, you know, he acknowledged that he heard it on NBA TV. He didn't say my name. He didn't say the show, unfortunately, but <laughs> nevertheless, uh, he wasn't referencing anything else. And so, you know, to, to have, like I say, like, basketball is one of those things, very subjective. Opinions are all subjective and, and they're dictated by a lot of our biases and prejudices and just our favourite players and teams. And so, you know, when you hear a lot of analysis about it, it's coming from a place for a lot of people where it's like, oh, I, I'm, I think this because, you know, of, I like this team or I like this player or whatever it is. Um, but so to say something that Steph Curry sort of picked up on that was just based on my observations of following the three-point contests from when I was a little kid. Um, you know, it was just an incredible, uh, incredible thing that you could say that someone like him would actually listen to and hear. And, and I always think as well, like that reporter, I, I really should buy that reporter a uh, bottle of champagne or something because if he didn't <laughs> ask the question, then Steph wouldn't have said it and no one would ever have known. Uh, and so the fact that the question was asked and he answered it, you know, so well uh, was incredible. So, but even just for me, again, seeing guys like Charles Barkley, who who I used to watch, you know, he his first All Star game was the nineteen eighty seven All Star game, and I used to have the Street and Smiths magazine, the Hoop magazine, uh, Basketball Digest, that have articles on Charles Barkley. When I was a kid in Australia, you know, at twelve years old, thirteen years old, in the late eighties. America and the NBA seemed like it may as well have been on Mars. You know, it was such a, <laughs> a, an impossible galaxy, um, you know, to, to reach at the time. And so then, you know, 20 odd years later to be walking around the office and there's Charles Barkley, like the same Charles Barkley who, <laughs> you know, just you, you thought like if I ever got a chance to meet Charles, if I told 12 year old me like, hey, one day you're going to be sharing the same carpet as Charles and Shaq and Isaiah Thomas and these guys, it wouldn't have seemed believable. I would have been like, how does that, how is this going to happen? And then how is it going to be where I give Steph Curry, you know, that advice? How's it going to be when I'm shooting around with Isaiah Thomas on the finals court in Oakland? You know, um, things like that, that you can't possibly conceive. Um, you know, people talk about like, oh, the script writers or, you know, Hollywood script writers can't come up with crazy stuff like that. If you told 11 or 12 year old me that one day that's what I'd be doing, I, I wouldn't have believed it because it just seemed too 
fanciful for it to actually happen, but it did. <laughs> and that's why I really tried to embrace every single day I was on TV for NBA TV because it was uh, one of those experiences that, you know, you've really tried to stay in the moment of it. Uh, and I did. And I, you know, it was sad when it ended, of course, but, um, but not sad to the point where it's like, well, I knew it wasn't going to last forever. It was more like I, I tried to really capture every moment I could. And, uh, and and I think I did a pretty good job of that. This is a sport where players' careers, they are limited. And if you think about it, just the opportunity to live and be close to it, because just a very few will be able to play well enough or to coach or to do some, to be related with the NBA team is so hard. And to be able to cover it at that point, just uh, the honor of experiencing all of that, even if it was for a day, it will be already incredible for me. And you did it for many years. Well, that's right. And, and you know, again, I do sort of look at it like I was a player in the league for six years, you know, not, not in the sense that you went out on the court and, and yeah. obviously played, but in the sense that you had to turn up every day and perform. You know, and you had to you had to be on your game, and so you know one of those one of those dreams I had as a kid was to make the NBA, and while I didn't hmm. make it in, in the way that I envisioned, I made it to the NBA still, and and so um, oh, yeah. that that to me is something that I'm I'm proud of and uh, very happy to you know say that I accomplished again, even though it wasn't I I, I didn't I didn't know the path, I didn't know how it was going to happen. All I did know was that I had that dream and that hope and by taking a few chances in life and, and by, you know, running things um, unconventionally, I found my way there and it was uh, amazing. That's, that's incredible. It's truly, truly incredible. And just being able to listen to this and to share this with other people through our podcast. And our podcast is very small compared to anything that you have done, but uh, it has surpassed all of our expectations. The fact that you have people that are willing to listen to you and the fact that you can do something that you just enjoy so much, it's, it's truly rewarding. And uh, it's just amazing to be able to hear it from, from you. So. Thank you for sharing that with us. No, I mean, I'm happy to always talk about it. it you know, it is it is a, a life experience that, um, as I say, again, I, 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 a lot of people have asked me over the years, like, you know, what's your secret? How did you get there? What did you do? Can you tell me some advice? Give me some advice. Give me some, you know, insight. And I was like, the truth is I don't really know. I mean, I, I, I didn't plan it. As I said, I didn't sit down when I was 20 years old and say, right, I'm going to the NBA and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn about a podcast that hadn't even been invented yet. Social media is going to become big. I'm going to work it in that way. I'm going to move to Canada. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to meet a girl who turned into my wife. That was an incredibly important step in my life that, I, again, I couldn't foresee that. I couldn't predict how it was going to happen. But all these things... Have, that did happen really did originate from me just saying, well, I don't know how things are going to happen, but I'm going to go in this direction and I'm going to try and I'll see what happens. And and that sort of philosophy has served me well in life. You know, it's it's not like everything has turned out. It's not like everything has gone my way, but I just, I do believe that if you want to get things moving, you just have to try without necessarily knowing how it's going to happen uh, and just keep on pushing forward. Passion. It's uh, the driver for all of this and that's pretty incredible let's go even deeper into that and uh, you have you are doing great you are a reference you just mentioned your lovely wife so you have your family you you have a successful show and you decided what will be great right now is we stop doing all of this and I'll go around the world to play pickup. <laughs> was that about right? How? What was the pivotal moment for you to to want to do this? Yeah. So again, this this one wasn't something that I sort of planned out 
you know, years and years ago. It, what happened was it really it started from the pandemic uh, times where, you know, everyone was sort of locked down. We didn't know what was happening for a year or two there. Uh, and then my wife and I got vaccinated. And, and, you know, it was at that point we were like, well, if we if we're vaccinated, we're still staying home. We're still not doing things like what's the point? And so we decided, right, let's let's you know what, let's take a trip. And again, we sort of learned more and more about COVID and the risks and things like that. And so we decided to take a trip and we went to uh, Europe and we went to Germany and Holland and Denmark. And when I was in Berlin, it was a Sunday afternoon and I was at a, a flea market there. Uh, Mauer Park, it's called, and um, and the, there were these guys playing basketball. And so we'd had lunch and I just sort of said to my wife, I'm just going to shoot around with these guys. And we ended up shooting around and then playing and my son took some videos of it. And he and so I thought, oh, you know what, I'll post these on social media again. Well, like, why not? And and, and I, it's not great footage. It's not like I'm out there, you know, dunking <laughs> on guys or, or you know, cross, crossing guys up like Kyrie or anyone like that. But what happened was I got a really strong response. Uh, a lot of people messaged me and a lot of people comment and said, man, come to my city, come to my town, come to my country, we'll play. And I, and I didn't sort of think too much of it. And then the following year, which was 2022, we went back to Europe and, and the same thing happened. I put a message out on social media and I said, I'm going to be here if anyone wants to, if anyone can let me know about a run or a game. And so I, I turned up, was in Barcelona, I was playing, and the same sort of thing happened. I, I, I ran at this really cool court there. I put the clips up on uh, Instagram and I got a lot of feedback and people saying, man, this is awesome. You know, come and play in my city, in my country. And the more I, the more I sort of, you know, thought about I didn't even really think about it, but this idea just sort of started growing on me, you know, and, and, and this is like what I, what I've, I've said to a lot of people as well, like I don't go on, on sort of, I don't think about things too much. I go and feel more. And, and I started feeling this thing. I was like, man, there might be something here, you know, where I can just go around the world, visit courts and play pickup. Because I know from my travels extensively in my twenties and thirties, that basketball is a game that is worldwide. You know, it, it's not a, a sort of sport that, you know, is uh, like like American football, for example. It doesn't really exist outside of the United States. But basketball is everywhere, and it's for boys and for girls. And I just decided, I started talking to my wife, and I said, like, I mean, why not try this, you know? Like, these <laughs> goes back to all those other things that I just talked about as well. Like, when I was a kid at 12 years old, if you told me, hey, you're going to be on the NBA TV for six years. And it wouldn't have made sense if I'd said that as a 12-year-old. I said, I'm going to be on NBA TV, you know. Like I said to my dad once, I said, I'm going to be in the NBA. And he's like, well, look, you know, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to dampen your spirit, but you're probably not that good at basketball. Now, I'm not angry at my dad. I, I don't hold any bitterness towards him for saying that because it was true. You know, I got nowhere near close enough to play in the NBA, but I, I made it in a different way. And so this same project I'm on now where I'm trying to turn playing basketball into a documentary series, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know exactly even if it is going to happen, but I know that the only way it is going to potentially happen is if I go out and try to do it. And so once my wife and I started talking about it and the implications was going to have, you know, leaving behind a job, I was under contract and things like that. But it's like, if you really want to do it and you want to try something, then you just have to go for it. And, and so the, the, you know, at this point I'd been covering the NBA professionally for over about 11 years now, 11 seasons. 
And when I kept thinking about, well, if I don't try this, what am I going to be doing? I'm just going to be, you know, continually analyzing the NBA, which is fine. But it just, there was something inside me that said, you've got to try this. You've got to go for it. And, 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 you know, if you really want to do it, then go for it. And so that's when, once my wife gave me her blessing, I knew that it was like, <laughs> I knew that once I had her support, I couldn't really say no. And so there was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of, uh, you know, I had to walk away from what I knew, my comfort zone, to go into something very, very uncomfortable. Um, uh, but I, I welcomed that and I embraced that and I decided, go for it, man. Like you get one life, you know, you may as well roll the dice and find out rather than sit there wondering if I could turn this into something. And, you know, that that's what's amazing to me is I just feel, as I say, I, I, if you think about it logically, it's very hard to, you know, conceptualize because it doesn't make a lot of sense. How are you going to monetize? How are you going to, you know, do this and that? But if you always think about things in a logical sense, you probably wouldn't do many things in life. You know, you wouldn't buy a house. <laughs> You know, you, 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 you wouldn't you wouldn't drive a car, you know, you wouldn't go on the roads because those things are exceptionally dangerous. And so, you know, when you sometimes just go, well, I'm going to ignore the logical side of it and just go with that gut instinct, that feeling that like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know if I try, something might happen. I know for sure, 100% certain if I don't try, then nothing will happen. No one's going to knock on my door and say, hey, we're just wondering. <laughs> You want to do this series we've conceived where you go around the world playing basketball? That's not going to happen. What might happen is if I go around and play basketball and someone like a Netflix or Amazon Prime goes, hey, man, this is a great idea. We could maybe turn this into a series because everyone's looking for new, unique content and, and I've got it. It's just now a matter of trying to parlay that into a, a career. And we circle all the way back to the passion. Basketball is such a big passion in some countries. And just, you are not selling just playing pickups. I guess that's not even the biggest part of it. Going to a country like Serbia, like Lithuania, where basketball is such, it's, it's bigger than life for some people there. It's incredible. And being able to capture some of that passion into a docker series, into whatever is the final product it's it's pretty incredible that's something i would pay to watch it's something that, <laughs> there are way worse series going around on netflix yeah. that we all watch them and this is it's, it's pretty good stuff do you have some um, are you expecting to do the docu series are you in talks about it can you speak about it at all <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not in talks uh, at the moment. Uh, I did submit um, a pitch at one point, which wasn't successful. But again, I, I don't look at that as like, well, that's it. It's all over. I just look at that as like, okay, you've got to come back better and stronger, you know. And, and right now I'm in the stage where I'm really focusing on building the audience. Because once you have an audience, you put yourself in a stronger position to get noticed. Because that's ultimately, again, what what any sort of TV show or, or docu-series is looking for is if you've already got an audience, then it makes it so much easier to fund it and to finance it and to, and to pitch it and promote it because people are already paying attention. And that's something I've learned over the, over the 14 months that I've been doing this already. It's like, oh, you know, you can't just go and everyone's got ideas. You, you know, everyone's got, oh, I've got this billion-dollar idea. You can go out there mm -hmm. and do this or that. But ultimately, that doesn't work. What does work or what has you know, proven to be a, a better formula is to have something already to bring to the table where that, that is tangible, that, that one of these networks can go, oh, okay, well, you've already got this many people following you and watching and, and your videos are getting a lot of traction, a lot of views. We can work with that. 
but it's when you, you know, it's when you sort of go in and just with a purely, you know, blue sky idea that's got no real substance behind it, that's a much harder sell. So, you know, I've sort of switched my focus in the last probably three or four months to be like, okay, you know what, build your content a better as best you can, build the audience as best you can. And so then you might get noticed without having to pitch to someone, which is ideally the better case scenario, because if they come to you, then you're in a stronger position for leverage and just to get what you want. But when you're trying to pitch to someone else, convincing someone that, you, that you've got an idea that has got no track record of, of any sort of you know, interaction or, or viewership is, is a much harder sell. So my focus right now is just get better and better if, uh, at, at building up the content, hopefully building up the audience. And again, taking it one step at a time, not knowing exactly who's going to see it, who's going to think there's something to it, but maybe they will. And, um, you know, I, I know for sure, as I said before, I know for sure they won't if I don't do anything. But if I do yep. something, then you're giving yourself at least that that sort of punches chance of, of trying to have something happen. I think that I know for sure is that our listeners will be interested in these products because I think that they like is basketball and the basketball culture in Europe is a lot about that. If we want to follow you and we want to follow this content that you are producing now, what are the best platforms to do it and where should we be following you? So uh, the, the strongest platform I have is on Instagram, which is just my name, Lee Ellis, L-E-I-G-H-E-L-L-I-S. But I am on TikTok, uh, Lee Ellis 76, YouTube the same, Lee Ellis 76. Twitter, I don't really know what Twitter is these days, so I'm on there, but that's <laughs> not really, you're not going to get too much uh, there. So Facebook, LinkedIn, everywhere like that, I'm trying to post and promote because, you know, again, that that's some people absolutely despise some platforms and aren't on them. And so I'm trying to capture as many as I can uh, for people to follow along. And, and, and that's the thing, like I'm really trying to show people that this is not just about me. This is not just about an ego trip of me playing basketball and, and, and that I'm trying to tell the stories of the people I meet in the cities that I go to, in the countries that I go to, places that I've never been before. So I'm trying to bring people along with me for the journey because I find that, again, that's going to resonate more with people if they're like, oh, I feel, I feel like I'm a part of this rather than just being a spectator or a viewer. So, um, yeah, I, I, I welcome anybody who wants to, uh, you know, participate, send me an invite to come to their city or country. I'm going to try it. I've got hundreds, literally hundreds of offers <laughs> out there uh, that I'm trying to sort of, you know, manage as best I can because I want to take people up on them. And that's ultimately how I've got to this point and I want to continue to do that. Well, I know that you have been in Portugal where we are from, the, co the, the host here of the European Hoops podcast. But if you want to, to visit Latvia and I know you have been around here, I will be happy to welcome you and to organize things for you to, to have some fun over here. Oh, so, I, I am very interested in Latvia, Estonia, uh, those, those, that part of the world. As, as you know, I was in Lithuania, so it's sort of in that yeah. same area. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I've actually had people from, uh, you know, Estonia and Latvia reach out, uh, Tallinn and saying, because there's apparently a really cool court, like with a castle in the background there um, yeah. in uh, in Tallinn. So uh, in uh, Riga, excuse me. And um, I'm really, really excited. So it, it will happen. 
I don't know exactly when, but it's uh, it, it's out there, and I definitely want well, to get back there. Make sure to let me know. I will I will take care of whatever you need to. It will be a pleasure to kind of host you and just uh, <laughs> be a small part or just witness your projects. So, can you give us a teaser, a highlight, a memorable moment, a funny moment? Just give us a teaser of your experience well, so far. Oh man, I, I I mean, look, I think probably. I've had multiple highlights. It's very difficult to sort of pin it down to one, but I would say meeting Drajan Petrovic's mother in Zagreb um, is probably oh, wow. been the highlight so far. Yeah. I went to the Drajan uh, museum there in Zagreb and I was walking around and, and I was just taking it all in, looking at the memorabilia and the shoes and the posters and things like that. And I saw a door that was sort of slightly open. And, and so I just, you know, I just thought, oh, this is a different part of the museum. And I poked my nose in and, I immediately recognized his mother and I was like, oh my God, that's Drajan's mother. And, but, but it wasn't another room. It was like her office. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I'm in the wrong place. And so I sort of went to, you know, oh, I'm very sorry. Sorry, I'll leave. And she closed her laptop. She was working and she got up and she just toured me around uh, the museum. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, just an incredible <laughs> moment really because I think for Drajan, and, and maybe you can relate to this as well, you know, in the, he was – really the first non-American star in the NBA. Like he should have been an all-star uh, yeah. in 1993. He wasn't. I think he was third team all-NBA. So he had some recognition. But he was the first guy who really broke through to become a, a, you know, a success. And so I think for anyone who was non-US born, there was a bit of a connection to him in the, in the late uh, 80s, early 90s because it's like, wow, someone else can make it in the NBA. And he did. And obviously it was tragic that he didn't get a chance to really spend the next four or five years of his of his playing career in the United States. But, you know, so to, to get a chance to meet his mother, it was like, oh, my God. I mean, you know, he died 30 years ago. And so and he was 28 at the time. So part of me was like, his mum must be, you know, 95 years old. I'm not sure exactly how old she is. I guess she's I guess she must be in her 80s. Um, but she's still, you know, it's, it's like there's still a connection there to Drajan, even though, you know, he, he left us so many years ago. So that I think is, um, is going to be very, very tough to top as an experience because it was just, oh, yeah. uh, just a mind blowing experience. Yeah, I can only imagine that's, that's incredible. And he's like that almost mythological figure because he was a star. He, yeah. he, and he was that his drive as a competitor was incredible. That's what made him so special and what made him so good. And he inspired generations. And now we, we see the basketball and there is so much debate about the international MVPs and, and all of those things in the NBA. And he's one of the inspirations that turned generations into becoming... For, for a long time, it was European basketball was more tactical. Uh, American basketball was way more athletic. And now there is just a mixture of everything. And it's quite beautiful to see because it's the improvement, improvement of the game as a whole. And he certainly is a big part of it. It's it's incredible when you think the last five MVPs have all been, you know, non-American born players, yeah. Giannis, Jokic and Joel Embiid. And there's a very good chance it's going to be six this year as well. You know, um, whether that's Doncic or Jokic or Giannis or Embiid maybe goes back to yeah. back. I mean, you know, and so I think the seeds of that was kind of planted with Drajan and the dream team, of course, in Barcelona in 1992. And now, again, we're seeing that like, Players, Drajan, again, at the time when he was uh, drafted by the Blazers, 
he was a role player on a very good team. They were they were an NBA Finals team in 1990 and 1992. So, and he was deep on the roster behind guys like Clyde Drexler and uh, Terry Porter and that. So, he didn't really get a chance until he went to New Jersey. But now you're seeing, you know, like Wemby was obviously the number one pick last year. In years gone by, you know, there's been, you know, Andrew Bogut and Ben Simmons, a couple of Australian guys there. Yao going back 20 years ago now. Um, so the fact that guys are no longer being picked just as role players or bench or rotation players, they're like, oh, we want to build around this guy. You know, you look at, again, look at Giannis and look at Jokic and Doncic. I mean, they are the franchise guys. They're not just the, the sort of number two or number three option. They're the number one option on their teams. And I think, again, that's only going to get bigger and bigger and not just from Europe. I think it's going to be from Africa and Asia uh, and, and, you know, all around the world. So I think it's great that basketball is going this direction and I think it's great that it's happening on the women's side as well, you know, and in, in, uh, the WNBA is getting bigger and bigger each year and I just that's what I love about it. The game is just great because it's growing globally uh, for both sexes and it's just making it even more and more compelling yeah and you have amazing stories like Satsudan's story during the the world cup and just shows the growth of the basketball worldwide and it's so important for those communities you read the stories of the Sudanese players and uh, how they needed to to go about qualifying practicing preparing to be playing against United States against Germany, that are countries that have way better conditions and just shows how important basketball can be. And it can literally change lives and it does change lives at all levels. Like we are here speaking from a covering standpoint, but uh, from a playing standpoint and just the friendships and the, the connections that you make. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Like there, there are players, like I say, with Charles Barkley, I, I will never, ever reach or even pretend to think that I could play on the same level as he could. But in terms of the love of the game and the passion, you know, people can't love it more than somebody else. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we all love it. And that's why even you and I are even talking here today. You know, because yep. basketball is the uh, is the conduit there that's brought us together. We both love it. We both have a passion for it, and uh, that's what's great about the game is it does create friendships and, and relationships. And uh, you know, again, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for a belief that people feel the same way about the game as I do, and they love playing it. And and it, you know, any of the runs that I've been to that I've had. They're never about like I've got to be the best. I've got to beat this guy or anything like that. It's just about let's play to have fun and and enjoy ourselves and that's ultimately what it's all about if you're having fun and you can play the game and then you can sit down and have a chat and get to know each other a little bit afterwards it, it, it's a real way of bonding and bringing people together uh in in a, in a way that you know there, there are no boundaries when it comes to that it doesn't matter where you're from it doesn't matter how old or young you are you know or anything like that if you want to play basketball i'll play with you Let's go out and shoot yeah. some hoops and have some fun. I have played basketball with people that don't speak the same language as me and, and you can play and it's quite special. It's awesome. Before we, we get to the last part of the this interview and start speaking about Euro League, one question. Have you had any run that got really competitive? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean a lot of them a lot of them do get competitive but in a in the right way where okay. <laughs> people are playing to, you know, people are playing like, like I said no one's out there like you know, like, yeah, I won, I'm the best. Like but people people should play to win. I mean, you want to win oh, the yeah. games. Of course, everyone, you know, winning is way more fun than losing, but it hasn't got to a point where people are, you know, throwing the ball at each other or everyone has to be separated over a foul ball <laughs> or a travel or anything like that. Um, and that's that's the other part of it is I, I, I always say at the start, I say, hey, guys, we're just here to have fun. 
you know, so I, I don't care if you want to keep score, we can keep score. If you don't want to, we can just also run up and back for a few hours here because that's ultimately what the game is, is just playing and, and the scoring doesn't really matter. So I haven't reached, uh, I've never had to sort of separate anybody or anything like that. <laughs> um, people are just playing to have fun and that's ultimately what it should be about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's then move to the early. When did it come to your orbit and uh, how did it influence your perspective on basketball? So, I mean, I've obviously known about EuroLeague for a while, but I haven't really followed it until I was invited to go to Belgrade of all places to cover <laughs> the first ever EuroLeague derby between uh, Red Star and Partizan. And so when that offer came through, I was like, yes, so absolutely want to go and do that. And <laughs> you started with a good one. I, I mean, <laughs> you know what? In some ways it's like, it's it's bad to start at the top. I mean, it's because it's like, <laughs> how can any uh, derby or any rivalry or any game sort of match the intensity of a Belgrade uh, derby? But um, that was an incredible experience. Then I got a couple of more opportunities in Istanbul, and then I was in Lithuania and Kaunas there for the uh, final four last May, uh, May yeah. or June, yeah. And, uh, you know, EuroLeague basketball is incredible because it's not just about team A versus team B. There's like geographical, political, historical rivalries meeting each other. And sometimes it can be across countries. Sometimes it can be across the city as it was there in Belgrade. And most of the time, like in Istanbul, there are so many rivalries, so many little patches of the city that are, that are intense rivals with each other that makes the atmosphere incredible. And the energy at these games is incredible. I mean, to be in Lithuania at a, at a neutral venue and not have one of the local teams play I was like, mm, I wonder what the uh, atmosphere is going to be like. But Olympiacos being there with their fans was incredible. Then you had a Real Madrid-Barcelona, El Clasico at the uh, Final Four, and Monaco was there as well. Now, Monaco didn't have a huge support, but they were a very good team. Uh, so I, I just, you know, I think, again, no one really believes the EuroLeague basketball is at the same level as the NBA. I mean, it's just not. But the passion and the fans and the support – and the intensity of those crowds is something that the NBA sort of needs to look at a bit and figure out why that's happening there and not in the NBA. And I think a big part of the reason is there's just an oversaturation of games in the NBA. And so people become a little bit more, you know, sort of blasé about it because there are just game after game after game. Whereas in EuroLeague, a bit like Champions League soccer, you know, you might have, let's say, Bayern Munich versus Barcelona you know, for two games. And that's so intense for those two games because they might not play again for five years. Maybe they will, who knows? But you've got Man United and Liverpool and Real Madrid and, and um, you know, all these teams with incredible histories. They've, they've been rivals for years and years and years, sometimes going back decades. That's what EuroLeague is closer to. And so I think that's why there's more passion and more uh, commitment and dedication from the fans because it doesn't happen all the time. You know, it's not just a repetitive cycle. And so I, I, I think it's great and I, and I love it. And, um, you know, I, I think EuroLeague is really starting to get more attention as well as far as like, look at the crowds here. This is not people turning up halfway through the second quarter, you know, on their phone with their friends the whole time. People, especially again in Belgrade, an hour before the game are cheering. Their shirts are off already. They're singing, they're dancing, they're, they're going crazy. That sort of... Uh, commitment and dedication by fans is unbelievable. And you can't help but feel the adrenaline and the emotion of the game and the moment. And so uh, I, I, I've fallen in love with EuroLeague basketball and I want to try to get to as many 
many more contests as I can. It's it's almost a religion for some people around here. It's it's that big, that special. I have been lucky enough to have been a bit everywhere watching games and experiencing it, and it's just very special. And it's a passion for basketball. It's a passion for that club, and it's 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 very beautiful to witness and to experience it. And it's just a very different way to to watch games, to play the game, and to experience basketball. And that's what makes EuroLeague so special around here. You were mentioning about NBA being better than EuroLeague, and it is. I agree with you <laughs> that I won't be arguing that with you. But I can hear some of our followers and listeners making the question: Who will win the game today between Real Madrid and the Detroit Pistons? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look. As much as I love Rudy Fernandez, Sergio Yule, and Sergio Rodriguez, I mean, look. I don't. I, it wouldn't be a blowout, but the Pistons should win that game. I mean, the Pistons should win. I mean, Cade Cunningham is an incredible player. Now, look, the the Pistons have been terrible this season. There's no question about it. But overall, mainly because Rudy Fernandez is 38, Sergio Yule's 35, <laughs> you know, Sergio Rodriguez is what he's about the same, Mario Hazonia's in his 30s. I mean, the older guys, more experienced and they're veterans and they're great players, but you know, Mario Hazonia should still be in the NBA if he was if he was good enough. He had a you know reasonable sort of stint here, yeah. um, but ultimately the Pistons should win. But I, look, if it was a seven game series, I think the I think Madrid wins a game or two for sure. Oh. Um, but but there's you know look, I mean again, you, you, there's so many other factors that go into play there. I think with the Pistons, I mean, so many games, terrible organization as far as the ownership, and uh, you know they've had so many changes. They've had they're just not a, an inspiring destination right now. So I think those are the sorts of things they're dealing with, and you know they'll get better. I think at some point. Um, <laughs> But it certainly it has be been hard not to. <laughs> it, it, it certainly has been a disaster the last few years there in Detroit, yeah. and and again, I think I, I think look, I I think there's a problem with the NBA draft. I used to think the NBA draft was a fantastic system. Now I think it's terrible because it incentivizes losing. It still does that. You know they've tried to change that in in recent years by by evening out the odds. But you still got teams that are like we're tanking because we want to get a better player in the draft. I think you scrap that system and you say if you finish last or second last, you don't get a draft pick. So you haven't got these teams just bottoming out the whole season long. And, uh, you know, we saw it with Philadelphia with the with the um, Sam Hinkie years. From the start of the season, they weren't even trying. And I, I just think that's bad for the league and it's bad. It's a bad product. So that's one thing that I just don't think you'll ever see in EuroLeague where teams are just a tanking because there's no incentive yeah. to do that. That's a big difference. The every game matters motto. It really comes into play because even if you're in last play, you, you are always competing to try to win every for single sure. matchup and it really matters for you. It Picking on that, does, yeah. give me the top two differences between the game, the way it's played in the EuroLeague and the way it's played in the NBA. Well, I, I mean, a shorter game in EuroLeague as well. There are only 10-minute quarters there, um, which which I think is, is better. Fewer timeouts, so the game moves. You know, you're not, you're not sitting there. The one frustration I still have with the NBA is just the continual stoppages, you know, like timeout, timeout. Like when a game's close at the end, it's like, play the game. But it's like, no, everyone's got five timeouts and we're going to use them all. And it's like it kills that sort of momentum. You want to get to that point where it's like, let's find out what's happening. Um, but, uh, you know, so I think I think that's probably the biggest difference um, in, in just how the games are played. 
but again, I think the main problem with the NBA is just too many games. And and, and I, I know they're never going to change it. The, the owners are never going to say, give us less games. <laughs> we, we want less. Give us less money. Less, yeah. Exactly. Less <laughs> money, less content. They want, they want the games. And so you've got this like solution, potential solution out there that they're not even going to entertain. And I think that's going to be the problem. But also I think the playoffs far too long. You know, I, that first round doesn't need to be best of seven. The first two rounds don't need to be best of seven. Make them best of five or maybe best of three. You know, just get get going, get things moving because I know as a fan of basketball, I've loved the NBA. I still love the NBA, but I know that even for me, and again, a part of the reason I, I, I uh, you know, did walk away from it was because the playoffs just seem to go on and on and on. And you've got these, like, sometimes you've got these series that are like a team's up 3-0 and they sweep and then the other team's going to a six or seven game series. It's just too, it's too long. You know, you're asking too much from your supporters. So I would make it shorter. And I do believe, again, coming back to EuroLeague and Champions League, less is more. Less games increases the uh, stakes of each game. And that's really what the NBA needs to do. They need to find a way that every game matters because right now it doesn't. You know, the, yeah. it, it, it just doesn't matter. And even the regular season, it's it's end up being too long and there are games that simply don't matter, that nobody cares about them. And it's a disservice for the fans that pay tickets to go and watch those games. So to end this interview, to, to start reaching the end of this interview... How wild it is a final four format to decide a champion. A champion. <laughs> I, I think it's great, you know, and um, <laughs> I, I really, really enjoyed it. Now, I don't think the NBA necessarily has to adopt that, but I th- would oh, yeah. love to see them try something different. As I say, where make it maybe best of three, best of five, best of seven, best of seven, something like that. So it's it's a little bit shorter and more condensed rather than dragging out the way it is. But I think what they should do with this in-season tournament, rather than play in Vegas, I mean, Vegas of all places, <laughs> like take take the final four of this in-season tournament to Belgrade. Take it to Paris. Take it to Barcelona. Take it to Berlin or Munich or somewhere like that because European fans, from my experience, again, this is not like one of the NBA or EuroLeague is going to survive. All, they're all going to survive. They're all going to continue to thrive. European fans want to see more live NBA action. So give them some real NBA action. Don't just throw a game of, you know, we've got the Nets and the Cavs in Paris next week, one game and that's it. It's like, hmm, well, that doesn't, you know, Nets and the Cavs, fine. Donovan Mitchell's going to be there. Mikhail Bridges, you know, decent players. But if you took the final four from the in-season tournament this year, Lakers, Pacers, uh, Bucks, and who am I forgetting there? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Pelicans. Pelicans, that's right. But if you put them into the city, like I say, of Belgrade for like make it a, you know, a four or five day long event, you build it up, the crowd would come, people from Europe would fly in from all over Europe to be there and support it. And the European fans would feel that they're at least getting acknowledged by the NBA. It's like, yeah, you love basketball. Okay, we'll give you something that actually matters. Like this tournament we're trying to build up to trying to make it into something. Well, we'll put it in one of these cities so that you get to see LeBron and you get to see Zion. You get to see Giannis. You know, you get to see Tyrese Halliburton. You get to see multiple stars playing games that they're trying to win. You know, like again, Brooklyn and, and Cleveland next week, it's like, okay, it's a regular season game. There's no real stakes on the line here. Put something of value there so that the players feel it because once the players are invested, then you're going to see 
the best product you can. And I, I would love to see it again. Chance of that happening, virtually zero. I just don't see the NBA doing that, but I really wish they would. And replicate that environment because these exhibition games that we have here are more like people go, people pay, people watch it. It sells out because it's an opportunity to see those players live, but it's not with the environment that we see in the early. It's not, it's not, that's the thing. No one's there going, oh my God, if the Nets don't win this game, they're out of the playoffs. <laughs> you know, yeah. people, people are there because it is a spectacle. It's the same thing, you know, like with the Super Bowl, as far as outside of America, people sort of tune in for the event, but there's not people going like, oh my God, God, I've got to see who wins this game. People people like who the halftime show is, you know, like the city and things like that. That that's the same right now with this with the game of the NBA game they play in one game they play in Europe. People I think are interested, oh, I want to see some players. But I've seen those games as well on TV. And it's like people there's no real people aren't just going hanging off every basket because there's no real stakes at play. Mm. You go to it as you go to a show. Exactly. One last question for you. What would you say to someone that loves basketball, as we do, and haven't watched the EuroLeague yet, especially for our American <laughs> listeners? <laughs> I mean, try to watch it, of course, online first, you know, on uh, TV uh, or the internet. But honestly, try to go to a game. Try to go. It's worth it. it, it nothing can replicate the experience of being in the arena. And there are many, many great rivalries. You go to Athens for Olympiakos and Panathinaikos, Belgrade, I've already mentioned. Go to Spain, uh, you know, Turkey. There's plenty of rivalries. Go to one of those games and feel it for yourself. You know, feel feel what it's like to be in the crowd an hour before tip-off and people are already like, oh, man, <laughs> on the edge of their You'll seat. feel the floor shaking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because a lot, of, a lot of people, you know, said to me like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't do this, I can't afford it. I'm like, well... You know what? P buy, a, buy a plane ticket and go over there and feel it for yourself and experience it because life to me is so much more about experiences than thoughts. And and so, you know, you can watch a game and you can take away something from the TV broadcast. But once you're there and you feel the atmosphere and you see what it means to the people and you're a part of something special, you have such a stronger memory and such a, a greater experience. And then you were like, oh, that was awesome. I want to do more. I want to feel more. I want to feel that again. And so that's what I would, that's what I would do. I mean, I, I just think it's it's great. And and again, I'm I'm never going to sort of say, well, well, maybe maybe Euroleague's going to be as good as the NBA one day. It probably won't ever be in terms of the skill level, but in terms of the passion, I think the NBA really has to look at the Euroleague and and figure out a way to try to capture that sort of uh, atmosphere. Thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for joining us. Please remind our listeners where they can follow you and where they can follow your project. And once again, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you very much for having me, Andre. Just uh, Lee Ellis, L-E-I-G-H-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram and Twitter and then Lee Ellis 76 on YouTube and TikTok. And uh, yeah, I post everything pretty much across every platform. And um, yeah, I mean, follow along, send me a message, let me know where the... Uh, best court to play is and I'll uh, I'll try to make it happen. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm sure everybody loved this interview. As always, I'll be talking with you guys soon.